What because what they, try to do, what they try to do is teach everyone to be them, right? Which is what like a lot of supervisors who get um, promoted yeah. from being the top rep, they try to clone themselves. That's not a great approach at all, at all. What is, what, you know, that's very interesting. I have a friend who reached out to me last week who just got promoted from top sales rep to sales manager, which is, I'm just like, it's sort of like watching a train wreck, by the way. You're like, ah, I'm going to watch anyway, but <laughs> you know, here you go. Right. What's the right way to do that, though? So she's in that role, uh, Lisa. What's the, what is the right way? So don't clone yourself. That's pro tip number one. Don't clone yourself. Right Grab every book you can on sales management. And there's not a lot of them, by the way, right? Mm. But on sales management, because most organizations have sales rep training. They don't have sales management, onboarding and training. I actually built a sales management program for GTE Internetworking, God, eons ago, because mm. they kept promoting their best reps they were miserable, they would either get fired or they would ask to go back to the field. So we built out a three-week program. What does it mean to manage other reps? Because your role is different. What made you successful in the field will not make you successful managing a bunch of other reps. So that's really key. Mm -hmm. and, and to look into, does your organization have any kind of training or onboarding or expectations that are cl clearly communicated on what, what they want you to do? Because if it's just to make them sell like you, you got to disconnect from the beginning. An organization's not looking at this the right way, and you, you're gonna—it's a—it's a, it's a crapshoot if you're gonna be successful. Everyone, this is Lisa Dennis, uh, president on, and queen of ValuePropositions.com, oh, and this is the Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes. With a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Justin, KG, and myself, Pete, are dedicated to helping sales leaders or aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Please subscribe to our YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Today, our guest is Lisa Dennis. Lisa is a global marketing and sales strategist and consultant. She brings over 30 years of marketing and sales experience to her work with business to business clients. She founded the consulting firm Knowledge and Associates in 1997 with a core focus of helping sales and marketing teams see the world through their customers' eyes. But before we get to Lisa, we have some Patreon love to give out to our business supporters. Unlock key account growth with the Man Farm Smart Software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data driven, predictable, and scalable. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for Iron Man. Hey, KG. What? You know uh, Brent Keltner? I've, I've heard of that guy. He's written some books. Maybe he's been on our show. I don't know. He's got this master class, Grow Revenue Faster by Making the Shift from Product-Driven Selling to Authentic Conversations. Hey, Winalytics, build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brett and say KG sent you. Ask about the master class. He would also like to say, hey, Aaron J. and Trent S., thank you for your support. It's a real ego boost. Hey, looking. Software developer, manager, 10 years experience, CPound, MS, SQL, Angular, React, Azure Cloud, Ask.net, Core, also Node, jizz, Angular Web Development, email Pete at sassholes.net, recruiters, I got a hot one for you. Time for a shout outs. Hey, happy birthday to KG sister, Janet Tenney, and also happy birthday to Ryan Jones. Scott Wilson, boomeranging back to career builder as an area sales manager. Kevin Kiley, CRO at One Trust for his five-year anniversary. Matt Russell, what's going on, my friend? One-year anniversary to Reapley. Got done four years at Genesis. Kathy Pirogova, promoted to senior director of client service success at C-Vision. Jillian Auska, three years at Salesforce, and my old buddy Tom Glenn, two-year anniversary at AMC. All right, KG. Carney? Yeah, Pete. KG? Uh, yes, Pete. 
What did the baby corn say to the mama corn? <laughs> I don't know. What did the baby corn say to the mama corn? Where's popcorn? <laughs> Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm not going to subscribe no. to these jokes. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's not so bad. And I like how you're not putting the dad joke in there any longer. So now it's a oh, real surprise in the such show. Such a does. great surprise. Yeah, such a great surprise. Thanks for making the editing time longer and the guest time shorter. Speaking of a guest, Lisa Dennis, how did you conjure up Lisa Dennis, KG? I've never met Lisa before, but I went looking for um, some various sales experts and to have on the show, of course, you know, and uh, I found Lisa listed on Lori Richardson's uh, Women's Sales Pros website as an expert. If it's in writing and if it's on the web, it's got to be true. So I reached out to her, but then I also noticed that she was listed as a top 100 marketing and advertising influencer at the Marketing, Advertising and Retail Summit. I think that was like a year or so ago. And I was like, all right. Cross my heart, hope, I pray that Lisa will come on the show. And uh, well, and, we know uh, she's got a good PR firm, <laughs> right? Herself, <laughs> uh, that's right. So anyway, um, Lisa, thanks for coming on the show. We're honored. I am honored to be here. I mean, how do you turn down requests from a podcast called Sassholes? I mean, how do you even say no to that? Trust me, plenty have. It's, it's <laughs> an offer you can't refuse. A lot, a lot have learned. Yes. Yeah. Just, Great messaging. Just, I have to tell you, it's extension getting. Just, just because of the name "sassholes," there are a ton that are like, "I don't want to associate myself with the yeah. word sasshole because it yeah. sounds like asshole." Like, yeah. Ooh. You just said it. You just said it. Come on the show. <laughs> so well, anyway, when we first started the show up, I remember they're like. Somebody at my other company was like, you know, that's great, but you should probably consider changing the name. I was like, uh, why? The minute they say that, you know, you got a good name. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, I'm from Massachusetts and we're known as Massholes. So I feel like oh. I'm home. I'm good. Yeah. See, there you go. You and John Barrows, like thick as thieves, I'm sure. Uh, so, so Lisa, give us the, uh, you know, the two minute summary of your career. How did you get where you are today? So I started out on the marketing side of the house, um, supposed to be an English teacher, massive layoffs the year I got out from college, ended up, I could type and I started, I literally started there, ended up in marketing and did that for a while, product manager. I had the little product that could, meaning the one that nobody thought was fun or sexy. Huh. I, I had to figure out how to get my salespeople to sell. That got me to jump the fence to sales. So I'm pretty much of a mutant half marketing, half sales brain, which actually works great with customers. So it sort of started from there. I, I, I jumped out um, back in 97 um, after a completely two-year burnout job, took a timeout and decided that I didn't want to work for anyone else. And I really should try to do some interesting things. And I thought it was an experiment. That was 24 years ago. I never expected it to be this long, but it's been an amazing ride. Half marketing, half sales but foundation as a teacher though. Don't like, don't underestimate that though. You're right. like, your ability right. to teach, I think is really, really important there. That's fantastic. Yep, definitely. I mean, writing and, and, and the English language are really important. I actually majored in poetry in college and you can't make a living being a poet, really. It's hard. So I was looking for something creative so I could write and that got me to marketing. And then here we are. You, you majored in poetry, who paid for school? It, I did. Okay, good enough. Yeah, Under smack down. <laughs> right. My Come father was like, no, 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 you're going to be a teacher. So minor in secondary education, yeah. right? Okay. All right. So I can all make right. a living, but ultimately that didn't pan out and uh, all for the better. Isn't it called Dead Poet Society because it's the only time they make money is when they're dead? <laughs> well, basically you write and you teach. That's going to be my mm -hmm. retirement. That's going to be my mm -hmm. retirement career when I get to retirement. There you go. There you go. So sales, what... Uh, so basically your experience in sales is selling yourself or what, you know, what did you have to care? No, about? I was actually, um, I was, um, I worked uh, with a conference company and I headed up marketing and I also headed up our inside sales team. Um, and then why, because I had the, the, uh, the, the unsexy product, I spent a lot of time actually selling and um, our top 100 clients did love our, my product. So um, I got my feet wet there, uh, learned a lot from my sales team. And then went on from there. 
So uh, knowledge and associates is what you started 24 years ago, right? Correct. Correct. What, what, what do you do? Do you have a niche that's fo- you're focused in on? Like where, where, where do you hit a home run with your clients? So my focus area is around value props and messaging. I have a real passion for value proposition development and, and the messaging side of things that extends into sales messaging because I'm on both sides of that fence. I also do a fair amount of go-to-market strategy work, account-based marketing work, a ton of that. Um, and then on the sales side, I've done sales process, sales development, sales training work for years. So I'm pretty active in all of it. But if I had my choice, I'd do value proposition messaging work all day, every day. When, what, size, what size of clients are you primarily working So with? I'm, I'm uh, upper mid-market and mostly enterprise. So I work with Microsoft, IBM, Citrix, you know, ServiceNow, those kinds of companies. Um, didn't start there, but that's where I am. It's where it's been for the last 10 years. So I'm an enterprise girl. So when they engage with you, how long does that engagement last? It sounds like years, right? It depends on the nature of what we're doing, right? Uh, because I'm a really, I'm a real seller at heart these days. I'm, uh, I'm really good at what's the next project when we're starting another one. <laughs> Just to give you, you yeah, I'm a, I'm a big one, right? So right now I'm working on three value proposition uh, messaging projects. I'm doing probably three or four really big account-based marketing rollouts, global ones. Um, and then I'm doing a, um, a, a custom sales training um, for a healthcare company right now. So it's a broad range, keeps me interested. I think it's funny. I was watching this show called Murders, Only Murders or something like that and, and Hulu. And Martin Short's on it. And he he's selling something. He's crazy. He's selling something. And they say no. And he comes back and sells again. And it's for a higher price tag. And he goes, always more. Like, it's always going to be more. <laughs> like, you say no, always more. Same sort of thing. Um, I sold you that product. I'm thinking of a project. I'm thinking of the next project. Always the more. Next project? Yeah, that's the, we, we call that the assumptive close, right, Pete? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Or the, Colum- if you're or, build, the, or the Colombo. Or the Colombo. If you're going to build a long, a long scale business. I mean, I have clients that I've worked with at five or six companies. So, you know, that's sort of the way you cement yourself in. And you can also do that whole trusted advisor thing that every company wants. But it's like, how do you get there? Right. Yeah. So, so 97, 2000, 2010, 2020, you know, you're a youngster like ourselves. What, what problems are you? <laughs> What problems are you solving along the way? Like, what's the number one thing? I'm sure it's called something else, but what is the number one thing you're going in and, and, and correcting? I'm going in and correcting and teaching people how to speak buyer. Because we too often speak, and that's, by the way, the title of my next book that I'm working on, is we too often, it's our own company speak, our own product service solution speak. What we don't get is how to speak buyer. And they listen better when you speak buyer. Oh, so I you mean that. like no acronyms? They're no acronyms, <laughs> no overly technical. Th- th- oh, I just saw a really great video where the entire video was a conversation in acronyms. It was a complete riot. I'm going to use it in my next training because I hate that. Yeah. Lots of those in technology value props. Let me tell you, it makes me insane. There's a uh, book you- I love called Don't Make Me Think. And I feel like that. <laughs> really right. with, uh, what you're saying. Totally. You write it. I was just no, going to say, somebody's got to make fun book. of it, for God's sakes. You like anything that doesn't make you think, Jamie. How about the only yeah. murders on Hulu? Uh, so, so, you're, so you're going in, and like, how big are the, do you have a classroom that you're going to? I know we had COVID and all that, but let's just imagine it didn't happen. Like, you're going into a group, and you're, you got a screen behind you, and you're, what, how many people are in the room? So anywhere from, you know, I did, uh, I did a big value prop project for, um, for Mutual of Omaha, and we had 65 people in there. Um, some of them were from brand, some of them from product marketing, some of them from corporate comms. I've done smaller teams where we've got, you know, six to 10 to 12. So it, it ranges. Um, I was traveling pretty much worldwide before the pandemic. And, uh, and then quickly pivoted to, to uh, virtual, which I didn't do before because I like the interaction, the, the yeah. creative stuff. And now it's a mix. Where I'm going with it is, you know, ever since 2007 and 2008, whenever the iPhone came out, it's really hard to teach somebody when they're staring down at their phone. Do you make them dump the phones in a bucket? Or oh, yeah. How, how, what do you so do I go that? in and say, I'm looking for a new phone. First person who has their phone is mine. And I'll, and I take them. I had, a, I had a CEO in a meeting back of the room and I caught him and everybody's like, he's got the phone. Is she going to get it? 
And I went right up to him very quietly and just did this. And he handed it to me. It was wonderful. I mean, it was great. I had everybody's attention. But then at the end of the workshop, he wouldn't take it back. He said, I don't want that. You answer it. So, so how long will they pay attention to you now compared to how long does the content have to be? How long do they, could, the modules that you do, how do you keep their attention? So on the virtual side, it's got to be obviously really interactive, but I also think there's an aspect of entertainment. They come on, I have different music blasting for every session. So I'm running a class right now where we have nine sessions, nine modules. They're an hour and a half a piece. Some days it's opera, some days it's country, some days it's rock. There's polling, there's interactive quizzes, there's small group work and breakouts. I make a lot of noise. Um, when I'm in a live situation, like I'm going to Denver in two weeks for three-day things, then it's really active. I've got people getting up. I've got people moving. I've got people switching teams. I've got us running outside. I think there's an aspect of training that needs a level of entertainment to keep people focused. And then I have some rules. Your laptop's down. Your phone is off, you know, period. And, I, and I'll walk around. I, I usually tell them, I'm an English teacher in my past life, which does not bode well for you, right? So I'll go full teacher on you and you make a joke out of it and you make it as playful as you can, but you also have very definitive things that you have them do. And they should be working, not sitting there listening the whole time. And that's key. So, so delivering the content, around. how long How long does that last? How long do you talk? Virtually within an hour and a half, I'm probably 15 minute bites. And then we're okay. doing an exercise or working. Got in it. a full-on face-to-face uh, -face thing, it might be 30 minutes because I'm going to get a lot more in-depth, and then you're working, and then we do lots of readouts. So I make sure my audience has as much airtime as I do. Have you started to, to put video into your repertoire? Do you, do you give them uh, homework beforehand and then discuss the homework into class? What do you call that? Reverse learning? What's the fancy word? I have no idea. I call it pre-work. Pre-work. So okay. It's like, okay, here's the deal. They, there's always a pre-work assignment. There's always a kickoff meeting. Here's what's coming. Here's what this is going to look like. Here's what my expectation of you, because this is going to absolutely not be what, what you put in is what you get out, right? As a, an attendee. Then we use the pre-work in the front end of your first session. So it's always people are, are working through. I'm working a class now where we used to do three-hour sessions and they would actually do their exercises live because we were working on real accounts. And then they were like, oh, we want shorter sessions. Okay, now you have homework every night. And it's interesting with the quality of the homework that those exercises actually went up. Even though people whined a little bit, the actual quality of what the output was even better because they had a little bit more time to think about it. So we've incorporated, we've run that course three times now with the homework piece, which I thought people were gonna push back on, but they actually did quite well with it. Do you do pre-work with the manager? So they, they'll, yeah, you know, after you leave, you know, the authority is gone. Will the influence carry over with the, the leaders? What do you do with them? So they're, they're required to be a participant just like everybody else. You can't coach what you haven't learned. And that's the quickest way to undo anything. So not, not only do they come out of it with draft value props that we work on also post to refine them, but we're also teaching a repeatable process. So you guys can do this without me next time, right? And so that means the managers and the supers have to know and experience it as well because they're going to coaching their people. So it's a requirement. You, you, uh, you wrote a blog post recently about, um, well, I think it was, it was called Six Ways to Pivot to Transformational Marketing and Sales Messaging. Yes. What are those yes. six ways? First one seems super basic, but it's the weakest link I always see. Get crystal, crystal clear on who your target audience is. Most people don't do a good job of segmenting. So they're trying to get at this huge audience. And it's like, wait a minute, how relevant is what you're saying to at least half of them? So you've got to get really narrow. Who's the most relevant? Are you sure? Do a little bit of, of, of client research to get you there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Once you've tightened that up, then you move to the second one, which is what moves your buyers? right? What actually is, is important or matters to them? Here's a hint. It's not about you. They <laughs> don't wake up saying, Hey, I want to buy your stuff. They don't wake up even thinking about you. So mm -hmm. what are the things, how do you want your buyer? What do you, how do they feel about their current state? How do they really feel about it? How do they want to feel? That's the next part. And then what do I want them to believe or understand about my offering that plugs right into how they feel? That's what moves them. 
So that's the second one. The third one, this happens all the time. You can't really do a good message unless you're really clear on what your competitors are saying. So go do a competitive messaging scam, which is something I do with a lot of my clients. Because I can't tell you how many times you're saying exactly the same thing as your competitors, usually with the differentiators, which completely suck. Let me just say that. It's like, okay, you and your seven competitors and five out of seven of them, you're all saying the same thing. That's not differentiating, right? Mm -hmm. The last part, the fourth one, once I know what my competitors are saying is, okay, now you want to translate your, your message into language that humans use, okay? So that gets it back to acronyms, overly technical, overly esoteric, a sentence that's three lines long, like, hello, people don't talk like that. So you want to do that. And then the, the last one, I think that's really important is really what you're trying to do is tell a story. Okay. I hate, I'm a marketing and salesperson that hates pitching, but you got to tell a story that matters. So who have you done this with that's relevant to your target and what mattered to them and tell that story. I'm going to be more willing to take two steps forward, but if you start pitching or you start talking all about yourself, I'm, I'm kind of bored. I'm going to go, right? I'm not going to pay attention or I'm not going to connect. So those would be, those would be mine. So what's the, so this is great. You're the queen of value props. Did I so. say that? Did I actually say, I, I don't believe I said that. Pete loves it, by the way. Uh, I think it's time for you to send Pete a TR. I'd love to see Pete. I'm going to. So, so. I would love to, you've, you've laid out those six to transform your sales and marketing messages. Let, let's turn this back then. I want to hear your company's value proposition because you've done all those, those, what, what is, let me hear your company's value proposition and, and checking off all those, those six boxes. Let me hear it. I believe that a one size value proposition, a one size fits all value proposition fits no one. Okay. Your customers need to understand how you're going to help them from their reference and their point of view. So at Knowledge as Associates, we help you see the world and communicate that through their eyes, using their language, their messages, their business drivers. And we do that through a combination of value proposition development or upgrading, and we extend it into both marketing messaging and sales messaging. What's your take on personalized videos and demos of your product and not personalized where you hold up a sheet of paper and say, hi, are you looking at me? But it's an actual demo where you're, you're you know, it's, I don't want it to be so contrived that it seems like you're replacing a sheet of paper and that's it. Everything else is pre-recorded, but an actual thoughtful, personalized, quick snippet. I think that's really key. So account-based marketing is a really hot thing right now. And I actually work with one of the world leaders and I'm a certified practitioner and I'm running programs globally right now. And that's all about getting into the shoes of your customer, right? So the more personalized, the more relevant, the more direct. I don't care about the 4,000 things your solution can give. Mm -hmm. I'm having this very specific problem. They wanna hear what you have to, to offer from the perspective of their industry and how it affects them, from the perspective of what their organization is actually trying to drive and how this impacts them at, at, a, at a, a role level. How does this impact me personally in my role? So that means your message, which starts out like this, needs to get really, really narrow in terms of, yeah, I'm talking to you, Jamie, and Jamie, I know for a fact there are four things that you care about that Kevin or Pete doesn't give a rat's butt about right? Why would I add that in my messaging if I'm aiming to you? So any piece of content, video, conversationally, uh, stuff that you email, stuff that you, that you share with them or download, less is more. That means you have to do a lot of homework so that I understand what makes you tick and I understand what you're truly working on. So yeah. I think, I think what's fascinating, so I've seen this now and the ones that really hit home with me, we have a, a sales engineer that does it at our company, People AI. Um, and she goes onto LinkedIn and finds people at that company that would be part of our demoed solution. And she calls them out and act and makes them into personas. And I'm always like, that's so cool. Cause they might actually have connection to Lisa in some capacity. You know? Yeah. I mean, you really want to get kind of close. I think the thing with LinkedIn is like, it's sort of a, uh, a bane of my existence because most of the emails that I get are hopelessly generic. 
I mean, I get pitched on LinkedIn for things that are completely irrelevant and just a tiny bit of research about my company. And you would realize, yeah, no, she's not even remotely. What people do is they troll for titles and then they just send stuff. I'm aiming at the C-suite. So let me tell you, and I get all kinds of offerings that are completely irrelevant. So I think that the, the, uh, the research capability is there. It's people have to do the homework. That's yeah, they have to do the homework. I mean, I, I can't stand the emails I get where it's like, hey, you haven't responded to my previous four. This is just a reminder, drop in that um, we're still here talking about facilities. I'm like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I hate emails that begin with hey. I hate emails that say, hey, Lisa. I'm like, who are you that you're talking to me? <laughs> you don't even know me, right? Like, so yeah, I, I, I think there's some real disconnect. Lisa, you talk dif- differentiators and- there's no better training than having somebody just try to call up a competitor and try to buy the product and hear what they're saying and ask about the company you're Great. working for to see what they say. And all the same buzzwords come in. So yeah. if, because sales, to my opinion now, each day goes by. I'm, I'm not really selling. I'm, I'm more of a teller, you know, in the podcast business. I'm not carrying a bag other than I'm trying to sell this podcast. But if a buyer has more access to information now, they're narrowing it down to three parties and they're like, all right, who can, da- who can dance for their supper? Who am I going to go with, right? And if you don't have it down and being in one of those three, if, if, if like you said, if you just start with a bunch of acronyms, you know what it means. People are just going to nod their head and say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. No, they don't. They'll never <laughs> tell you either. They'll never tell you. They'll, ne- they're, they're, they'll never tell you. So the new kids that are coming in, I'm sure I, I would imagine you do uh, an entry level and then you have an advanced level class. There's a different type of training for the entry level. Agreed. Uh, so, you know, bang the, the calls out, overcome the objection, sound confident, and then going to the next level. So for the new new reps, you you speak to them for maybe a week and then you go away and they're like, oh, man, what did she say? And then the next time you come back, they really listen to you. What's that time period, if you know what I'm talking about? Well, I actually don't train and walk away. So with every okay. training project I do included, and it's a requirement, is four to eight weeks of one-on-one rep coaching. And if I have a client says, oh, no, we're good. We don't do that. I said, I really can't help you. And I'll step away from the deal because sitting in a room and learning it, is not the same thing as installing it. And in order for her to have any kind of facility with it, because a lot of the research says that after a couple of weeks, most of training will kind of drain, right? Out of your brain. And there's a couple of things, but you'll go back to what you're doing pretty quickly. So I have to train all the, the, the supervisors how to coach. I coach every rep individually for four to eight weeks so that I walk away and, I, and, and it's, it's happening. They're using it. They've gotten practice at it. We're actually refining it. Without that coaching piece, I, I turn it down. There's plenty of trainers that'll come in, do their gig and leave. And I understand it. I did it in the early part of my career. So I'll, you know, disclaimer there. But what I've learned over the years is got to install it. And for me to be really confident about that, I got to do the installing. Does a, does a burnt out sales rep make a good sales trainer? No. I think it's, I think what I say this a lot on this podcast, um, first line leaders are your enablement team. And a lot of people don't do that. They just train the, the, the frontline reps and they don't really invest in the, anything in the first line leaders. In fact, I think they got to invest more in the first line leaders because those reps only hear 10 to 15% of what you're doing. And when they go back to their normal activities, if that first line leader isn't reiterating what you've said then it, it's, it's, it's worthless. I have a colleague, I want to make a little pitch for her. her name is Lisa Magnuson. She's from Top Line Sales. And she wrote a book, I don't think the year before last, which was sales leadership, a sales leadership playbook. Really great. What does it really mean to be a sales leader? What do you need to think about? And, and she created a play, a series of plays for sales leaders. It's excellent. Get it. Yeah. I mean, just promoting a, a, a great rep just means you you've taken a great rep out of the field. And then that great rep, a lot of times just super reps everybody because he doesn't know or she doesn't know how else they're supposed to do it besides, hey, let me show you how I sold. 
rather or than, they'll write in to save the deal because they, yeah, they're jonesing right. to close a deal and I can do this better than you. And you yeah. train your whole team when things get rough, I'll just call Ed and he'll come in and do the deal for me. And I've seen that happen. Well, well, it's a sketchy thing to take your best rep and then make them a leader. But yeah. uh, what's the boomerang? What's the right boomerang process where they do it for a period of time and you don't want them to leave the company. You want them to come back to intro- have them come back in. What's the right way to do that? You put somebody in a leadership position. Show it's almost like money they lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough role. You, I mean, you, it's a tough role. You, you, you're supposed to be a teacher. You you love to teach more than you love to make money. Yeah. I know it's crazy, but you have to find that person. But my question is: number one, what's the right process? Is it a a probationary period? Hey, we're going to try this for six months. See see how it goes. If not, then you'll come back into these accounts here. How do you? How do you not lose that good rep if you try them in leadership and it, and it doesn't work out? And then number two, the second question is, what's the first thing that you're teaching these frontline leaders? What's the most important thing when they come in? I'll hang up and listen for my answer. <laughs> so so first, first and foremost, um, the leadership that that, that changed rep um, has to get really clear themselves about what is our expectations of this person? right? What are we expecting them to accomplish? Are there really clear objectives set? And to work those through those with that person in that new role. As opposed to probationary, right? Think about enablement, an enablement process. So here are the core four or five objectives that we want you to address, and then let's focus in on them. Here's the time. We're going to set up a timeline around because you can't deal with them all at once. So we're going to focus on this piece first, and this piece first, and this piece first. And there should be regular check-ins. Honestly, I think you need to coach a rep who's become a supervisor or a leader along the, along the way, right? As opposed to just throwing them and letting them see if they sink or swim and then start talking about, this is not working. You know, you need to fix that. That's too late then, right? So what's your plan to grow them in that role, right? They should, they need an assist. It's not automatic. Shouldn't, here's a question that just popped in my head. If you're if you're if you're a first line leader, would you say, and let's say you you're an enterprise sales rep, sales leader, right? So six seven reps you're managing, you know that's a, usually a decent amount. Wouldn't you say like a good product and a good manager should have two or three people that are making more money than them, and two or three that are making less, um, and any and anywhere in between? And I, I say that because that's when the bad reps, uh, the bad leaders realize they're losing money right? If you write the plan in that way. If you're a first line leader and everyone's making less than you, then maybe one, that's probably not a good comp plan. And you're probably want to sit on top of the throne because you've got protection in some capacity from being let go, but you, you you're taking a pay cut to be a first line leader. You are taking a pay cut and it can be a, a hard thing. I actually had a conversation a number of years ago with a regional VP. Um, he came out of the ranks. He was very good. And at the time, um, this is going back to my GT internetworking days. At the time, we were hiring younger and younger because we couldn't find people. And we bring them off the street and teaching them everything. And some of these kids were, and I mean kids, were unbelievable. And I remember being at a, at a kickoff with him and we were having a drink. And he said, I got to tell you, I got four guys on my team. They're pulling three, 400 grand a piece, easy, without even blinking. He goes, and I'm not getting paid that. He goes, on the one hand, he goes, it makes me, it gives me a little angst. He said, on the other hand, I'm feeling like hell. That means I'm successful overall, right? Because he is getting comped on the total number. So you have to have, it's almost like you've got to put your, your ego in second gear as opposed to first gear. Because if it's stuck in first gear, which makes you a successful rep to a certain extent, it does not make you a successful sales leader. And so how do you, you know, think about what's the overall success pool look like? Am I developing people? If you don't care about developing people, it's probably not the role for you. That's how I feel about that. When do you let the, the leaders uh, interview, hire their own people? Mm, that's a double-edged sword, isn't it? It is. That's a double-edged sword. I think they should have input. I don't, I personally don't think what it's percentage? a percentage? Eh, I think they should have the final say, but I think that they should get input from outside of sales. So, so the, the new rep can pick their own person, even if, you know, somebody higher up says, you know what, I don't think that's a good idea. 
but I'll let you do whatever you want to do. Because if you don't give them the final say, then they'll point the finger at you and say, well, you, you made me hire that guy. I think it's a collaborative conversation up until you make the offer, right? Everybody should have the right, if you're a leader, to build your own team. There's nothing worse than being handed someone and you're like, oh my God. And you are going to inherit people and there's going to be a weaning, a weaning, a willowing out process because that always happens. Mm-hmm. But you don't want a person forced on you. So I think there's this, this balance between here's what I think and here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to vouch for this person. I'm going to develop them. But you know what? I'm going I'm to take six months with this person. And if they can figure it out, great. And if they can't, I'll do what needs to be done. You've got to be willing to step up. That we're doesn't fly with sales. me. We're deep into sales here. I'm hoping that we're gonna- doesn't fly with me because you, six months in a lot of places you have six month ramp time. And if you give someone six months, you're actually hurting their capacity models. And now everyone else is going to, even though you say, hey, I'll do what needs to be done. What could happen is everyone else is going to have to have a higher quota because you took a flyer on that one six month. So, so here's, here's how I would think about that. When I think six months, I'm not necessarily meaning pull the plug because I agree with you. What I'm saying is if I'm halfway decent of a leader and I'm working with this person within six months, I should know whether there's a shot or not. Will they need longer time? Absolutely. But if you've been around and you know what you're doing and you can get some guidance gotcha. if you're newer at it, within six months, you should have a really good idea like, yeah, this isn't going to fly or I need extra work or, or this person with given the right, the right tool, the right runway, all of that can work. So I'm, uh, there's a bit of a gut aspect to it that I think about. And I think that's sort of what I'm referring to there. You know, I'm thinking about your, you know, your business, Knowledge and Associates. And yeah. I, I find it like, do people pick up the phone and go, boy, <laughs> we just know we need our value propositions suck. So can you help us out? Like, do, do they know, like, how, how do companies know that they need to like shift their, va- their value propositions? Cause I, cause for me, I help leaders build inside sales teams. So when people come to me, I'm like, well, when I, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So I'm like, yeah, you need inside sales likely. So, so how do companies like know that they should be pivoting their value proposition? So um, I do get calls. I get calls from either the sales side of the house or the marketing side of the house. Our, our messaging sucks. Usually sales is complaining about marketing's messaging huh. right? because the sales messaging, A, salespeople are not writers and B, theirs is even worse. And it's not landing. It's just not landing well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the marketing side of the house, um, I, it's typically in, an internal sort of mindset going, you know what? this is all product service solution and we're pushing it out. We're talking all about us. And so I'll often get calls, usually senior, senior executives, senior level executives in marketing saying, we aren't, we aren't hitting it. Right. Hmm. We're trying to be more account centric. We're trying to be more, you know, to more buyer focused and, and they know. So it's interesting because I don't do a lot of, this is so funny, but I don't do a lot of prospecting. It, It comes to me. Mm-hmm. Right? You stay out there and, and it's a recurring problem. In terms of pivot, if you're trying to make that switch to being more account centric, even if you're not doing account based marketing, everybody's trying to be more account centric, then that's that can be one of those catalysts. Another one could be that we're just we're just the leads are not converting. Right. We're not we're not getting those quality leads. It's all about one thing, whether you're on the marketing side or on the sales side. It's about relevance. And if you really look at if we've got a really good sense of what our target market and our segments are, and God help us if we have some decent personas, how relevant is what we're saying to them, right? Mm-hmm. Is it a one-size-fits-all marketing to all, or is it more of a, we're really aiming at the right verticals in the right way, and we're really aiming at the right roles and personas and, and, and all of that? And, and again, relevance is hard because we're trying to stuff everything in, and literally we should be saying less and being more on point. And that's when people need to pivot. The pandemic was an interesting situation because everybody had to pivot because it was a pandemonium. They had, but they had to pivot more, not just the message, but how are we positioning the offering? Should we be offering something new? What's the message for that? So I did a ton of work during those first two years. It was like an explosion, right, to get everybody to do that. And that's still happening. And that's a good thing because I think what we've learned is that your message has an, ex, uh, has an expiration date. And a lot of times that message has already started to smell a little bit by the time you get to the point where you realize, oh, I should really be changing it up. Everything's changing and it's changing faster and faster. I was meeting with a VP of marketing, VP of sales 
and we're doing a big account-based marketing thing. And we started a pilot seven months ago. And he's like, all that market research we did, things have changed since then. We're sure. going to session start over. Wow. And, and then we're going to try to execute faster. And so that's what we're working on right now. A, a head of marketing that displays an amazing amount of humility to be able to pick up the phone. I can only imagine that there's umpteen amounts of marketers that could use your services, but they're too proud to pick up the phone and say, well, my team of 20 marketers, you know, kind of sucks at developing a value proposition. Like you'd have to be dealing with somebody that's like, okay, we have run through the gamut and we've got a problem. And now we want to bring in Lisa. There's a lot of different ways to confess that you have a weakness. Some of us are right out there saying, hey, what we do is not good. Others will say, I think we're at a really good point to evaluate what we've done so far. I do a lot of assessment work, right? Um, I do a lot of those messaging scans. How is your messaging standing up? And then we kind of pull it out from that way. If they're making a shift, if, if it's a, there's an obvious pivot, or if there's a new product launch, or it's a product that we're trying to really take to the next level, it comes from that. So you, there's lots of hints that I get without them actually saying it outright, though some of them do. I had a VP of marketing comment and said, I need you to come in and do a short uh, workshop series because we are so product driven and I need to convince my product marketers that that's not working for us the way it used to. Yeah. Okay. Playing, playing off of what Kevin was asking about and, and speaking to expiration dates, Let's talk about chief revenue officers. You, when did this become a thing? And when did that become a decision maker in your business? Is it a fad? Is it going to go away? Or is it here to stay? Because if it's here to stay, the people that are doing the job aren't really here to stay because they're only there 18 months and they split. And then they leave and then they got to bring you in again. How have you seen it in your experience? When did that chief revenue officer come in and when did that start to muddle up who you were going to talk to to close business? So, yeah, that's one of those titles. The other one that kills me right along the same is chief growth officer. And it's like, okay, who knows what that means. Right. And it's chief innovation. officer. I have a, I, I working with a company and they had both and, and I never knew who was on first. Right. <laughs> so I think that's really challenging at the end of the day. What I'm most concerned with, and I'm trying to find out, is who really has to be accountable and responsible, that the right messaging is in the hands of the, the, the marketers, that they're for them to execute the right relevant campaigns, and the salespeople. I want to get as close to that as, as possible. I often find I've got a chief revenue officer. I'm better off talking to the VP of sales that reports to him. Much better off, right? I'm at that, that chief level, and I'm still... You know, I, I don't often sell at the C-suite level an enterprise, first of all, because it's not, it's not a good fit for me. In mid-market, I might be, depending on the size of the organization. But where I want to do is the people who have to roll up their sleeves and are accountable for that revenue and for those leads. And they're the ones who care. And that's where I go. Now, most of these companies have enablement teams. Is it just the enablement team either has confirmation bias? What's an, what's an enablement team? The sales trainers. Uh, oh. can't, can't, um, has confirmation bias or is it that they, they can't see the forest from the trees or is it that they just, they need you to help be an outsider to help say something that they already know because no one's listening to them. That happens a lot. That last yeah. bit. The awful thing is it's very difficult to write your own messaging. It's very mm -hmm. difficult to be objective. It's very difficult to take your own company speak out of it. It's, 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 a, it's a real weakness, right? And, and we don't do, most of these organizations do, do, they do competitive research, but they don't do competitive messaging research. It's yes. all about, right? So we're saying a lot of the same stuff that everyone else is saying, sort of by default, because we haven't done it. I, I think that that's, that's where the disconnect can be. I think a great example of that is, so Pete and I worked at a company uh, called Curbolder. They came out with a new product and they called it CB1. As, you know, and then I was at another company and uh, called Flexera and they came out with a product called Flexera One. I was like, right, you guys, come on. We've got to come up with new uh, ideas here. Yeah, right. I mean, naming's a whole other thing. Uh, part of yeah. my career before I went out on my own was with a trademark research company. But, but Lisa, and God help me. What, what, why, 
sales training. You know what training is. What the hell is an enablement? Why did they change it? Why did they put that in there? Do you know? So, so yeah, so sales enablement is not just training, okay? Sales yes. enablement is also tools, templates. They help prepare them. Getting marketing, marketing- Corporate marketing. Market, but how do you get your account team to activate it in the field? right? So now there's like a, a trend where there's more marketing enablement is starting to become a thing as well, right? It's sort of like, okay, you know, we need to be able to help people um, activate what we're trying to put in the market better, faster, more effectively. So when I look at sales enablement, especially for the larger companies, that's quite an organization, the sales enablement organization, and it's bigger than training. It's a whole- and, It is. And competitive intelligence and all of that. I only, I dumbed it down for Pete. So that's why I said oh, sales. I get training. it. I get it. So why isn't it called corporate? It is marketing? a black and white guy. Cor corporate com corporate marketing, corporate communications is the sort of the broad reach, brand, okay. uh, analyst relations, public relations, all of that. So you've got corporate comms. Right. Typically have field marketing at some point. You have channel or partner marketing at some point. You have product marketing at some point. You know what I mean? So the larger the organization, the more complex the marketing organization, which means a lot more orchestration all of whom are trying to aim at the account team. So sales enablement is a really good filter. Otherwise they'd have a thousand marketers coming at them from a thousand directions because everybody wants to get to the accounts. And so your sales team ultimately gets paralyzed and ignores all of it and goes out and does their own thing. Lisa, let's sell some of your products. Well, first of all, this is the existing book. Um, and what I would say about this is that it's, it's a practitioner's guide. So it does two things. It has two in-depth case studies of how we completely changed messaging from start to finish. One of them is an enterprise company. One is in uh, mid-market. And so you go through the whole thought process. You see all the changes we made. There are downloadable templates you can use in here as well. So you literally could do this and you could actually start to build it. If you want a little more, a little more technology behind it, I have an online program. You can go to valueproposition.com and under services. And I have an online program. It's called the Simple Value Proposition Plan. Videos, worksheets, examples that help you walk through it. You can opt in if you want and, and also buy one-on-one -on -one coaching with me um, to help you get through all of it. That can be additionally helpful. So there's, there's that. I'm working on this next book, which is called um, Do You Speak Buyer? And it's an integrated messaging playbook for marketing and sales. That's the other disconnect. Sales messaging is over here and marketing messaging is over there and never the twain shall meet. And so if you're really trying to pull stuff together, you got to dig and hunt for it. So I'm pulling together literally um, what that would look like and the tools that you can use to build it. So you can customize your own. And you got a um, new, new brand coming out, right? Valueproposition.com, is that Valueproposition.com, which is uh, actually, I just added, um, I had my eye on that domain for a long time. And I, I, uh, that was my Christmas present to myself last year. So I'm in the process of moving everything over there. All things value prop, which will be good. And then I do a lot of uh, workshops, whether virtual or, um, or custom, where we could literally work on a pivot, a new offering, a refresh, however, however you want to do that. So you get hands-on support as well, or we can develop it. Also, um, some organizations don't want to do the workshop thing. It's like our people can't write. Um, they'll hire me to write it. And so I'll actually develop the value prop and then get input, you know, and editorial. So there's a couple of different paths that way if you want hands-on help. What's the best way to dip our uh, toes in the water with you? Because we got new sales leaders, new reps. They just got promoted and they want to try you out. Where would you send them first? One of the places you can go is um, I run a monthly show on the Sales Expert channel on Bright Talk, and I, it's called the Messaging Workshop Live. And um, once a month, it's the uh, I think it's the first Tuesday of the month of every month. Yeah, that's right. First Tuesday of every month, I'm running a, a messaging workshop on a, a specific topic. So there's lots of different things. Like the last one I just did is five ways that sales um, salespeople can personalize the messaging that they use. So it's very hands-on, giving you lots of ideas, tools, templates, that kind of thing. That's a good place to start. Um, lots of content, a lot of video on, on my website. That's another place to go. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, if you've got a messaging problem, reach out and I'll talk you through it. You know, what How do we reach account? out? You can reach out. You can get to me at Dennis at Knowledgeance, K-N-O-W-L-E-D-G-E-N-C-E.com. You can also reach out to me at valueproposition.com. 
and uh, or on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter at Knowledgeance. Um, I think I covered all my bases. Yeah, that's it. TikTok. I don't do TikTok. Yeah, Pete does. Pete, you do TikTok? Really? I bet those are really entertaining. Well, it's it's amazing what you can do when you speed up the, uh, the rate. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, Lisa, Lisa Dennis, thank you so much for putting up with us uh, today on the show. So much fun. I knew you guys were going to be fun. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Fun, fun enough. On behalf of Jamie, Justin, KG, myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. If you like what you heard today, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm just telling you, the algorithms really love it when you hit that little bell and subscribe. It'll take 30 people from learning about SAS to 3,000. We'd like to say thanks to our Patreon support for supporting our content. It's a real ego boost. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. KG, you know anything about Brent Keltner? He's got a master class. I've heard it's a masterful master class. I'm telling you, if you got a challenge for training and enablement stuck in the old product-driven model, the, the even bigger challenge is changing the product-driven mindset. Your solution is Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass with sales and marketing expert Brent Keltner. It's a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. We'd also like to thank Aaron J. and Trent S. Hey, let's not forget about Iron Man. Unlock key account growth with Demand Farm Smart Software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for Iron Man. Hey, recruiters, you're looking for a, uh, a good software manager? We got a good one here. 10 years. I don't know what these acronyms are, but there's a no in there. Check it out. Email Pete at sassholes.net if you're interested. All right, guys, thank you for listening. Cue the non-copyrighted music.